0: The Three Voices by Lewis Carroll Read for LibriVox.org By Marius Walsall, West Midlands, England The First Voice He trilled a carol, fresh and free. He laughed aloud for very glee. There came a breeze from off the sea. It passed athwart, the glooming flat it fanned his forehead as he sat it lightly bore away his hat all to the feet of one who stood like maid enchanted in a wood frowning as darkly as she could with huge umbrella lank and brown unerringly she pinned it down right through the centre of the crown then with an aspect, cold and grim, Regardless of its battered rim, She took it up and gave it him. A while like one, in dreams he stood, Then faltered forth his gratitude, In words just short of being rude. For it had lost its shape and shine, And it had cost him four and nine, And he was going out, to dine, to dine, she sneered in acid tone, To bend thy being to a bone, clothed in a radiance not its own. The teardrop trickled to his chin. There was meaning in her grin, That made him feel on fire within. "'Term it not radiance,' said he, "'tis solid nutriment to me. Dinner is dinner.' Tea is tea. And she, Yes, so? Yet wherefore, cease. Let thy scant knowledge find increase. Say, men are men, and geese are geese. He moaned. He knew not what to say. The thought that I could get away strove with the thought, But I must stay. To dine, she shrieked in dragon wrath to swallow wines all foam and froth, to simper at a tablecloth. Say, can thy noble spirit stoop to join the gourmandising troop who find a solace in the soup? Canst thou desire, or pie or puff, thy well-bred manners were enough without such gross material stuff? Yet yeah, well-bred men, he faintly said, are not unwilling to be fed, nor are they well without the bread. Her visage scorched him ere she spoke. There are, she said, a kind of folk who have no horror of a joke. Such wretches live, they take their share of common earth and common air. We come across them here and there. We grant them there is no escape a sort of semi-human shape suggestive of the man-like ape in all such theories said he one fixed exception there must be that is the present company baffled she gave a wolfish bark he aiming blindly in the dark with random shaft had pierced the mark she felt that her defeat was plain yet madly strove with might and main to get the upper hand again fixing her eyes upon the beach as though unconscious of his speech she said each gives to more than each he could not answer yea or nay he faltered gifts may pass away yet knew not what he meant to say if that be so she straight replied each heart with each thought coincide what boots it for the world is wide the world is but a thought said he "The vast unfathomable sea is but a notion unto me and darkly fell her answer dread Upon his unresisting head, like half a hundredweight of lead. The good and great must ever shun that reckless and abandoned one who stoops to perpetrate upon. The man that smokes, that reads the times, that goes to Christmas pantomimes, is capable of any crimes. He felt it was his turn to speak, and with ashamed and crimson cheek, moaned, "This is harder than bezique. When she asked him, "Wherefore so?" he felt his very whiskers glow, and frankly owned, "I do not know." While, like broad waves of golden grain, on sunlit hues on cloistered pane, his color came and went again pitying his obvious distress yet with a tinge of bitterness she said the more exceeds the less a truth of such undoubted weight he urged and so extreme in date it was superfluous to state roused into sudden passion she in tone of cold malignity to others yea but not to thee but when she saw him quail and quake and when he urged for pity's sake once more in gentle tone she spake thought in the mind doth still abide that is by intellect supplied and within that idea doth hide and he that yin's truth to know still further inwardly may go and find idea from notion flow and thus the chain that sages sought is to a glorious circle wrought for notion hath its source in thought so passed they on with even pace yet gradually one might trace a shadow growing on his face a second voice. They walked beside the wave worn beach. Her tongue was very apt to teach, and now and then he did beseech. She would abate her dulcet tone, because the talk was all her own, and he was dull as any drone. She urged, No cheese is made of chalk, and ceaseless flowed her dreary talk tuned to the footfall of a walk her voice was very full and rich and when at length she asked him which it mounted to its highest pitch he a bewildered answer gave drowned in the sullen moaning wave lost in the echoes of the cave he answered her he knew not what like shaft from bow, at random shot, he spoke, but she regarded not. She waited not for his reply, but with a downward leaden eye, went on as if he were not by. Sound argument and grave defence, strange questions raised on why and whence, and wildly tangled the evidence. When he, with rapt and whirling brain, feebly implored her to explain, she simply said it all again. Wrenched with an agony intense, he spake, neglecting sound and sense, and careless of all consequence. Mind, I believe, is essence and abstract, that is, an accident which we, that is to say, I meant, when, with quick breath and cheeks all flushed, at length his speech was somewhat hushed, she looked at him, and he was crushed. It needed not her calm reply, she fixed him with a stony eye, and he could neither fight. No fly while she dissected word by word his speech, half guessed at and half heard, as might a cat a little bird. Then, having wholly overthrown his views and stripped them to the bone, proceeded to unfold her own. Shall man be man, and shall he miss? Of other thoughts, no thought but this, harmonious dews of sober bliss. What boots it? Shall his fevered eye, through towering nothingness, decry, the grisly phantom hurry by, and hear dumb shrieks that fill the air, see mouths that gape and eyes that stare, and redden in the dusty glare? the meadows breathing amber light the darkness toppling from the height the feathery train of granite night shall he grown gray among his peers through the thick curtain of his tears catch glimpses of his early years and hear the sounds he knew of yore old shufflings on the sanded floor old knuckles tapping at the door yet still before him as he flies one pallid form shall ever rise embodying forth in glassy eyes the vision of a vanished good low peering through the tangled wood shall freeze the current of his blood still from each fact with skill and calf and savage rapture like a tooth she wrenched some slow reluctant truth till like a silent water-mill when summer rains have dried the rill, she reached a full stop and was still dead calm succeeded to the fuss when the loaded omnibus has reached the railway terminus when for the tumult of the street is heard the engine's stifled beat the velvet tread of porter's feet with glance that ever sought the ground she moved her lips without the sound and every now and then she frowned he gazed upon the silent sea and enjoyed in its tranquillity, and in that silence dead but she. To muse a little space did seem, then, like the echo of a dream, harked back upon her threadbare theme. Still an attractive ear he lent, but could not fathom what she meant. She was not deep nor eloquent. He marked ripple on the sand, the even swaying of her hand, was all that he could understand. He saw in dreams a drawing-room, where thirteen wretches sat in gloom, waiting he thought he knew for whom. He saw them dropping here and there, each feebly huddled on a chair in attitudes of blank despair oysters were not more mute than they for all their brains were pumped away and they had nothing more to say save one who groaned three hours are gone who shrieked we'll wait no longer john Tell them to set the dinner on. The visions passed. The ghosts were fled. He saw once more that woman dread. He heard once more the words she said. He left her, and he turned aside. He sat and watched the coming tide across the shores so newly dried he wondered at the waters clear, the breeze that whispered in his ear, the billows heaving far and near, and why he had so long preferred to hang upon her every word. In truth, he said, it was absurd. THE THIRD VOICE Not long this transport held its place within a little moment's space quick tears were running down his face his heart stood still aghast with fear a wordless voice not far nor near he seemed to hear and not to hear tears kindle not the doubtful spark if so why not of this remark, the bearings are profoundly dark. Her speech, he said, hath caused us pain. Easier I count it to explain the jargon of the howling main, or stretch beside some babbling brook to con with inexpressive look an unintelligible book low spake the voice within his head in words imagined more than said soundless as ghosts intended tread if thou art duller than before why quitest thou the voice of law why not endure expecting more rather than that he groaned aghast i'd in depths of cavern vast, some loathly vampire's rich repast. "'Tour hard,' it answered, themes immense, to cope within the narrow fence that brings thy scant intelligence." Not so, he urged, nor once alone, but there was something in her tone that chilled me to the very bone her style was anything but clear and most unpleasantly severe her epithets were very queer and yet so grand were her replies i could not choose but deem her wise i did not dare to criticize nor did i leave her till she went so deep in tangled argument that all my powers of thought were spent a little whisper inly slid yet yeah, truth is truth you know you did a little wink beneath the lid and sickened with excess of dread prone to the dust he bent his head and lay like one three-quarters dead. The whisper left him, like a breeze, lost in the depths of leafy trees, left him by no means at his ease. Once more he weltered in despair, with hands through denser matted hair, more tightly clenched, than then they were. When, Bathed in dawn of living red, majestic, frowned the mountain head. Tell me my fault, was all he said. When at high noon the blazing sky scorched in his head each haggard eye, then keenest rose his weary cry. And when at eve the unpitying sun smiled grimly on the solemn bun. Alach, he sighed, what have I done? But saddest, darkest was the sight, when the cold grasp of leaden night dashed him to earth and held him tight. Tortured, unaided, and alone, thunders were silence to his groan thy pipe sweet music to its tone what ever thus in this small round shall pain and mystery profound pursue me like a sleepless hound with crimson dashed and eager jaws me still in ignorance of the cause unknowing knowing what i broke of loss the whisper to his ear did seem like echo flow of silent stream or shadow of forgotten dream the whisper trembling in the wind her fate with thine was intertwined so spake it in his inner mind each orbed on each a baleful star each proved the others blithe and bar Each unto each were best, most far. Yea, each to each was worse than foe. Thou scared dullard, gibbering low, and she, an avalanche of woe. End of poem. This recording is in the public domain.